I'm Amber Tresca, and this is About IBD. It's my mission to educate people living with Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis about their disease and to bring awareness to the patient journey. Welcome to episode 111. This podcast is part of the American Gastroenterological Association Colitis Conversations Program. Shared decision-making is part of treating any chronic illness. For a condition as complicated as inflammatory bowel disease, it is vital. Every person living with IBD is unique, not only in how the disease is expressing itself, but also in how it responds to treatments. Therapies can include anything from oral medications to infusions to surgery, and people with IBD will make different choices based on a variety of factors that includes cost, lifestyle, or safety. To understand how healthcare providers and patients can come together to use shared decision-making, I speak to Dr. Rajiv Jan, a gastroenterologist in private practice in Dallas, Texas, and Caitlin Smith, ulcerative colitis patient and editor at The Mighty. We get into how healthcare providers can help patients learn about their options and how patients can speak up and help their doctors understand what the roadblocks are in receiving treatments because they're not always obvious. We also discuss the importance of trust and the treatment that brought Caitlin and her husband closer together in more ways than one. Our focus today is shared decision-making in IBD, including how patients can be prepared and how it can be beneficial. To get into this topic, I have two guests with me. My first guest is gastroenterologist Dr. Rajiv Jan. Dr. Jan, welcome to About IBD, and I wonder if you'd take a minute to introduce yourself. Amber, thank you for having me again on your program. It is a delight to be here. Uh, My name is Rajiv Jan. I'm a gastroenterologist in Dallas, Texas, in private practice and Texas Digestive Disease Consultants, which is part of the GI Alliance. And uh, I have the pleasure of working with the American Gastroenterological Association, or AGA, as their patient medical education advisor. And so it's a a real joy to uh, work with our GI societies and with patients and to be with you and Caitlin today. Also with me is Caitlin Smith ulcerative colitis patient and editor at The Mighty. Welcome to About IBD, Caitlin. Would you take a minute to tell us a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Um, I'm Caitlin. As you said, I'm an editor at The Mighty. That's kind of my side gig to my full-time job. So it's something I spend my weekends doing, um, which includes writing and editing the IBD newsletter that goes out every Tuesday. So it's kind of a passion project of mine. And I write a lot of articles on IBD for them as well. I just love writing. My other job, I'm also uh, in marketing, doing a lot of writing and editing. And I'm happy to be here. Thank you. You're a busy lady. I love your newsletters. They're so fantastic. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I learn a lot from them. Yeah. So I want to start with you, Dr. Jan. How do you define shared decision-making in the context of your practice and your IBD patients? Well, I, I, you know, there are formal definitions to this, but what I like to tell my patients is that we're, we're in a shared journey of creating good health for you. And to get to that place, first I have to earn your trust. And then as part of that trust building, I need to make sure that I'm taking into context your life and your life experiences and what you want, your goals are, to make sure I'm putting those as my North Star as I try to help you and your family navigate to the right place or right treatment decision, uh, intervention, whatever that might be. It could be as simple as a blood test or as invasive as a surgery. You know, sometimes it's easy to make a decision for both of us, patient and the physician or provider, but sometimes it's much more nuanced. So it's, again, it's about uh, finding a place where 
you have the right information and a truly evidence-based information, but not that I'm just throwing out a bunch of uh, pictures with, you know, ratios, but rather explaining the pros and cons and going with you and finding what your perspectives are and desires are so that we reach that goal. So, Caitlin, what does shared decision-making mean to you? And what do you think it means to IBD patients in the community? I think what Dr. Jan said is spot on, and particularly the part about, you know, just kind of throwing information at the patient and not really explaining why it's relevant or why it might may or may not help you. I think having an open dialogue for me is what shared decision-making means. So when you do get to those roadblocks or it's time to switch a medication or try something new or even just diagnose the condition, whether it's Crohn's or colitis or some, something in the middle, just having that open dialogue with your doctor and making it a conversation rather than going into there expecting the doctor to just kind of tell you what to do. So I think that's what I hear most from other patients is they feel like their doctor just isn't hearing them or isn't, isn't asking them questions about how they feel about what they've talked about, isn't kind of treating them like a teammate in this. They're kind of mm-hmm. doing like a coach player type relationship and you really you should be teammates. Um, so to me, shared decision-making is having that open dialogue and for the patient to not be afraid to bring up uncomfortable questions. Um, and I don't want to say challenge your doctor in a negative sense, but don't be afraid to ask those questions and in a way actually do challenge them. Like if you feel strongly that a decision they're presenting is not right for your body, then speak up and you guys can kind of talk it out, decide if it's still okay to go with, or if there's another option. I love that analogy, the coach player versus the teammate. That's fantastic. That's really a great way to put it. I think that everybody can understand it when you say it that way. Yeah, it's the lifelong athlete in me, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're probably right about that. It works, it works well, though. Dr. Jan, do you think that a lot of patients have heard about shared decision making? Or is it something you probably fall into it naturally with your patients? But is it co- or is it a conversation that you actually discuss this concept? Yeah, that's a great point. I, I think patients that either listen to your podcast or get Caitlin's newsletter, they, they probably know about it. My guess is that the average patient may not know formally what it is, but certainly wants it, I think. And so, and I love Caitlin's comment. I mean, I think, yeah, we're, we're, we're all rowing in the same direction. We're in the same boat. We're not a captain or a, as you mentioned, Amber, it, it, it's, it's all about working together to get mm-hmm. to that right goal. We may not get there right away, but as long as we're all going in the right direction, I think uh, that helps. And I, and I also think, Caitlin, you, you mentioned about challenging your, your provider. Absolutely. I didn't get permission from my mom to say this, but I'm going to say it. You know, if my mom, mom doesn't get the right vibe with the doc, man, she gets a new doc. And I think that's the way to go. So one goes back to what I was saying earlier. You need to have trust with your provider. And so you can't have a conversation about shared decision-making and, and, and decide which therapy to do if you don't trust your provider. So again, you, you build that trust and that is the runway that helps you then have those deeper, more difficult conversations. I, I find sometimes if the patient uh, is tense and I can read the room right, I'm, I might make some corny line like stool is cool if they're telling me about diarrhea. And, you know, just to demystify it, destigmatize it, because it's a real problem. 
and and we shouldn't be afraid to talk about it. And so, yeah, Caitlin, you're, the, the patient should challenge the provider if they're not going to the right place. That's fantastic. I love that. <laughs> Caitlin, how about you? Does this come into play with your own physicians? Has there been a time when you've used shared decision-making? Either uh, you knew what you were doing or it just sort of naturally happened? Yeah, I, I think a better question would be, is there a time where I haven't used shared ah, decision-making? That's good. Um, yeah. I, I've been fortunate that I've had really good a medical team, gastroenterologists, primary care physicians, just everyone um, has always been really good from my diagnosis. I was diagnosed in 2001, so over 20 years ago now. So I haven't really had to struggle, I guess, with getting shared decision-making into my care plan. It's kind of happened organically, and I'm really fortunate about that. But if it didn't, I think it is important for the patient to be an advocate for themselves and I know that when you're first diagnosed, especially me, I was a teenager, it can be really scary, but I think it just comes with practice. So if you're walking into a doctor's office and you've never sort of engaged in shared decision-making, like Dr. Jan said, it's not an official term that I've ever heard, but I think it's just something that happens organically over time between a doctor and a patient. So I would just recommend to the patient to get comfortable being uncomfortable, essentially, um, which is easier said, easier said than done. But doctor's office really is a safe place. And it's the one person that's not gonna, you know, make fun of your symptoms or poke fun at anything. And it's hard to, I think, transition from the real world where people do make those jokes and kind of poke fun at it. And then suddenly you're in this doctor's office and this doctor's telling you that everything's fine. They're saying stool's cool. And you're like, what? Um, so I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> I think it's I think it's I think it's important too if you're trying to establish that for the first time with your doctor to just don't be afraid to speak up. Just just rip the band-aid off, ask the question you're thinking, because there's probably a thousand other patients that are also thinking it. Dr. Jan, knowledge is a really important part of having better outcomes in IBD. And I'm wondering, are there ways that shared decision-making presents an opportunity for patients to understand more about their disease? Absolutely. When a physician or a provider employs shared decision-making in the right way, you know, if I'm going to explain a menu of treatment options to a patient, and let's just say for for discussions purposes, we're going to talk about biologic agents and immunosuppressives or a combination of the two. If you don't explain the benefits, the potential harms, the, the way that medication is delivered, what the cost might be, is it covered? I mean, there's so many angles that one can look at that. But if you don't explain many of those nuances, then the patient may or may not have all the information they need to be truly informed and make an intelligent shared decision-making because they need to have the right evidence base. So if, again, if they're not going to your podcast or Caitlin's newsletters and are on some other rabbit hole that may not be providing them accurate information, then those misconceptions may lead them not to choose what could be a, a good treatment option for them. Remember, the best one is the one they choose. But, the, but a good one that 
I may think is better than the other ones based on the information I have, it's critical for them to, to understand that. And it's our job as physicians to provide that education. And, and sometimes we're not the best way to do it. And sometimes it takes time to think about it. And so I don't expect the patient to, you know, many times give me the answer at that spot. In fact, I'll say, hey, go to the AGA website, go to the Crohn's Colitis Foundation website. There are these different tools and decision aids that are there, or additional information, or I'll send you a message on the portal. Think about it. Ask me some more questions, you know, shoot me some questions on the patient portal and then, or call me and we'll talk about it. And then we can arrive at that shared decision on what's the best treatment or intervention or whatever that question we have that we're trying to address. Caitlin, I think it's fair to say that not everyone has a physician like Dr. Jan. Yeah. How do you think we can help the patients that you and I communicate with better understand what shared decision making is? That's a good question. Uh, I always, when I, I have a lot of friends that really struggle with their GI and they're looking for a new GI or they see mm-hmm. four GIs and no one's a good fit and mm-hmm. they're just really struggling with finding someone that's working with them and not against them. Yeah. Um, so I think the main thing I tell people is trust your gut. First of all, like if your current GI doesn't feel right, they probably aren't right in your, your gut. I mean, this is all about the gut, right? Like your gut is very telling in this disease and it's telling in our instincts. So I think if, if it's not a good fit, you're going to know it and it's time to find someone new. And then I think it's also really important for the patient, regardless of their GI or when they find that good fit and they're trying to sort of build that rapport and build the shared decision-making model with them is to do your own research. Um, I think shared decision-making goes really well with being an advocate and doing your own research on what's out there. You know, for example, if your doctor is throwing out a new biologic for you to try to get into remission, go look it up, write down Mm -hmm. five questions that you have about it and bring it to your next appointment. And just kind of taking that proactive approach in your own condition can kind of organically lead to shared decision-making because now you're prompting your doctor with these questions and maybe you're asking them something that they've never even considered. Even though they are the professional and the expert in the the disease, you're the professional and expert of your body. So I think that's a really good thing that I say in a lot of um, friends that I have. I think there's a lot of conversation around, you know, how much the doctor needs to keep doing to be there for the patient, but the patient Mm -hmm. also needs to show up and do all the same things for themselves. Um, I don't, you know, I don't want to sound like, you know, I'm blaming the patient or anything like that. Absolutely not. But there's seminars and there's, there's websites like AGA and Crohn's and colitis and there's support groups there for a reason to help us kind of all come together and learn from each other. Right. Because we need to be partners in this, in this situation, because why go down a path that doesn't make any sense for you? When you're working with your patients, Dr. Jan, what are some of the situations in which you find shared decision-making to be helpful? Most important decisions, be it treatment, diagnostic, you know, things like that, in some way, shape, or form, you're using shared decision-making. It it may be very minimal in terms of the questions you need to ask, but it, it could last several office visits. Something that comes to my mind is, a, a situation that occurred a couple of years ago, it just shows you that that the provider can have a bias because they don't know something, and that mm. would be me. And so mm-hmm. an example would be I had a, a, a young patient, guy that works, needs a biologic therapy, had been on an injectable biologic before, 
my assumption was as I was going to transition him to a new biologic agent that, hey, this guy is young. Let's, let's look at another alternative that's an injectable. And I was just mentioning that to him. And so this is, again, coming at different angles. And it was very interesting. He mentioned to me, hey, wait, doc, I, I don't want an injectable anymore because I'm the one that has to deal with the insurance company. I'm the one that has to make sure it gets shipped to me. And I don't want to ship to my office for my privacy. So I got to make sure I can get home to get it. It was just a number of different things I had never, mm-hmm. ever in my life thought about from my perspective, because I'm not the one living it. Mm-hmm. And so it was just me kind of throwing it out there saying, I assume you want an injectable. And he was like, uh, no, and then explained it. And so it's those kind of conversations where you can learn from your patient what's best for them. And, and that's the kind of, I think, two-way uh, partnership I think Caitlin is talking about that, that needs to happen for, because again, when, when patients are fully invested in what, what they are doing together with their provider, they're more likely to take their medicine, they're more likely to have better outcomes, and both the provider and the patient are happier. So it's like a win-win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds right. And it's such a personal decision. Caitlin, when you are considering your options in terms of, of treatment and in understanding IBD, do you feel like talking it through with your providers and using this model is something that really helps you in understanding the path that you want to take? Yeah, I think so. I think shared decision-making is probably the number one thing that keeps me working with the same gastroenterologist that I have. Mm-hmm. I mean, the only reason I switched to a new one several years ago was because my, my old one retired. Oh, um, and I was very, the worst. <laughs> and I, was, I was very hesitant for the new one. I was like, you don't know me, you know? And then I got to know her and now we're, we're great friends and, and she's wonderful. Um, but I'm in a new city now, so I have to kind of do it all over again. So I think, mm. I think that, um, it will be really helpful for me in this point in my life, kind of reestablishing that relationship in a new state with new medical guidelines and new hospitals and all that stuff. Um, but I think it's probably the number one thing that impacts my my treatment. I mean, you know, there's a medication that helps me stay in remission, and you know, there's the biannual colonoscopies or however long you're getting or however often you're getting them. But having those conversations with the doctor, and especially those in between, I think one of the positive things about COVID is that it's really highlighted the necessary like telehealth and virtual options. So I think that having the portal to be able to message your doctor, continue that shared decision-making in between appointments, or maybe you're in remission and you just see them every six months, like just being able to pop in there and be like, Hey, you know, for me, since I'm, I'm pregnant, I talk to my OB and then it's like, oh, I, I need to run this by my GI before mm-hmm. we do this. Mm-hmm. So just being able to like have shared decision making, not only with my gastroenterologist, but also span it with all my other doctors, because this isn't just about your gut. This is the medication you take here impacts this, impacts that. And just kind of being able to span that from the GI and just see that it's also impacting primary care and OB and even therapy and everything. I think that's that's the key component to having a good relationship with your doctor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you were less empowered and had less knowledge about how to do that, coordinating all these people would be really difficult. Yeah. And I think it can be for, you know, if there's newer, newly diagnosed people listening, it can feel really overwhelming because now you have this new disease, it's chronic, it's lifelong. You've 
probably had all the scary stuff thrown at you right away after that diagnosis. Um, so it, it, it takes time to establish, I think the shared decision-making and get into your own groove and your own communication style. But I think it's worth the time and it's not, it's not going to happen overnight. Just don't, I would encourage people just don't be afraid to bring up concerns, any concerns to your GI. If you're concerned about, you know, body image has been huge for me with mine and in depression, like don't even be afraid to bring that stuff up. Just bring them in. They want to know everything to treat you correctly. Right. And I think that also gets into the idea of trust, which is another thing that I wanted to discuss in terms of shared decision-making. And I'm wondering, Dr. Jan, how this all works into building trust and having good communication with your patients, because discussing stool, let alone things like intimacy and mental health, is really challenging. So have you seen that the shared decision-making model helps you improve that trust and the communication that you have with your patients? Absolutely. It, as we mentioned in the beginning, trust is the foundation to a good relationship. And I think in uh, a patient-physician relationship, one of the things I try to do is, uh, you know, I, I have to be vulnerable to them as well. They're being vulnerable towards me. Mm. And so I'm open to share little tidbits about my personal life that, you know, m- makes it, look, I'm I'm just another person like you. I don't have inflammatory bowel disease. I'm not going through what you're going through, but I'm a person and I feel those things. And so Mm. I try to connect with them where I can connect and where there's something similar or interesting that we share. That always facilitates that. Uh, I think those those little things, and and I don't do it just to do it. It's just, you just kind of, I don't know. It's it's a habit. I I just like, I like talking, obviously, as you can tell. And so it's, it's kind of, uh, you know, it's a good thing to connect with people. And then when you have that connection, then you are willing to talk about those uncomfortable things, go to mm-hmm. uncomfortable places otherwise. Mm-hmm. For example, Caitlin mentioned that she's pregnant and has IBD. Uh, Amber interviewed me uh, a, a while ago on the IBD Parenthood Project. Mm-hmm. So if you want a patient to be better educated so they can facilitate shared decision-making. One option would be, you know, if there's something like that that has more information about your particular circumstance, read about it ahead of time. There's checklists that you can then take to your visit to make sure you're getting the best care and then go through these different options so you really are having that shared decision-making. So I think the Crohn's Colitis Foundation on their website even has a, a link for patients to understand what this is. So I think having the ability to review those things before a visit or a new, you're seeing a new provider, somebody different, it's probably good to brush yourself up on that uh, if you're a patient. Mm-hmm. I interviewed Dr. Nana Bernasco a few episodes ago, and she said she actually puts little flyers around her clinic. So it says things like, are you considering starting a family? Things like that. And then she's found that that is sort of a little entryway and helps patients bring things up when they when they come in to see her. And so it can start those conversations that people might have thought that it's not something to bring up when they're working with their gastro team, but actually it really is. My, I'll add to that, my, uh, my GI was so excited for us to start a family like two years before I was ready to start it. She was already asking me, she's like, are you guys, so you guys going to try to have kids? And I was like, oh, I don't know, not yet. And 
it was kind of like our joke for a little bit, but she was very proactive and like, let me know. And this is what we'll do to monitor your ulcerative colitis while you're pregnant. Um, so it's, I mean, it's fun too, when doctors from another practice, like it doesn't have to be so siloed when they're excited. Like she wants us to send pictures when they're born. Like, it's just, it's fun to have that relationship too with your doctor. We already heard about a few tools and resources. Caitlin, do you have any more um, that you can think of that patients might use that can help them understand shared decision-making or to have that conversation with their doctors? Yeah, I think um, some of the things I mentioned before, for sure. I mean, for me, the number one tool, I would say, you know, it's not an app or anything like that, is just Mm -hmm. have that support system and kind of find other people that have Crohn's or colitis or are familiar, have a loved one with Crohn's or colitis and just ask them questions and ask about their experiences in the doctor's office and ask their thoughts on, you know, something that a doctor said, obviously we're not doctors, we're we're patients, but I think just getting that validation and being able to have like an empathetic conversation with someone who gets it is a good tool And you can even, I've even practiced shared decision-making on friends, like pretending they're the doctor, I'm the patient. When I'm nervous, this was way back years ago um, when I was um, flaring and we were kind of transitioning to a new, a new treatment. Um, I just practice because I don't, I don't like confrontation of any form. So even though I love my GI, I was so nervous and she's like, oh my gosh, absolutely. Thank you for bringing this up with me. Um, But anyways, I practiced that on, on friends and practice different sorts of outcomes that if the doctor was was for it or against it. Um, so I think that's a really good tool that I use. Another one is sites that we've mentioned. You know, the mighty.com has so much information on Crohn's and colitis. And a lot of that information is from patients such as myself that are writers. And they just want to share their tips. They just want to share the hard stuff, the funny stuff, the gross stuff, the happy stuff. Like it's all on there. So I think there's just so much you can find if you just go to the site and just type in, you know, inflammatory bowel disease or Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis or, you know, even irritable bowel syndrome. There's there's so much on there to just see how other people are talking about it and get tips like something you might read. And you're like, I've never even thought of that. That's a good idea. Um, So that would be another tool I would say. Um, I also like, I use a literal tool. I use the notes app in my uh, phone, in my iPhone. Um, Mm -hmm. So if I have an appointment and there's a question that came up or anything else that I just want to bring up, I always, I do that with all my doctors, not just uh, my gastroenterologist. So I I would say, write things down and ask questions so you don't forget, Um, especially when you're pregnant. Pregnancy brain is very real. (laughs) So I do that a lot. I think those are are the main things and just kind of an internal tool is just trust your gut and be your own advocate. Like there's, it's not, it's not weak to ask questions. It's not, it's not weak to, you know, challenge your doctor. It shows strength. It shows you're being proactive. It shows that you really want to get better and you want to reach that middle with shared decision-making with them. Mm-hmm. Um. So I'm going to tell you something, Caitlin, the pregnancy (laughs) brain never goes away. (laughs) Man, 
I was, I denied it the first trimester, but here we are, almost done, and I'm like, it's real. It's so real. I just, I can't remember anything. <laughs> then it just it just morphs into mom brain. Oh, sorry, uh, I'm sorry to be the one to break it to you, but um, that's just how it is. <laughs> dang it. Well, now I know. So, well, now you're already in in the practice. You're in the habit, though, of writing things down and trying to keep track of these things. And I love this idea of role playing with your friends. Did you find someone else that lives with a chronic illness or did you just did you ask, you know, one of your healthy friends to help you with this? Um, I do a lot of sort of like role playing practicing with my husband. Um, He's my biggest supporter, my biggest advocate. So I do at everything, like whether it's, you know, preparing for a podcast or or role playing a conversation I need to have with a friend that might be hard. I, I do a lot with him. Um, but I also have a lot, a lot of friends that live with IBD. So yeah. we kind of, I, I wouldn't say that we do so much like literal role playing, but we bounce ideas off of each other. And I have two friends that actually have the same doctor as me. Mm-hmm. So we'll kind of check in after appointments. Oh, how's Dr. K? And what they say? <laughs> like, has she said this to you? So it's just, it's just nice to have that support system and, and be able to like kind of ease the nerves because it's easy to just swirl around in your own brain and think that you're the only one feeling this you're the only one with this question and all that and it's it's not true it's never true right it's never true I think sometimes I mean I know that I forget to ask questions when I'm in to see my providers because sometimes I'm going in there and since we've been working together for so long it becomes a little bit of a catch-up session and then I walk out of there and I realize that I didn't actually get my questions answered so I'm wondering Dr. Jan what are some ways that we can help other providers understand that we like the shared decision-making process and we want to be part of it? I think maybe sometimes we fall into it naturally, but it might be worthwhile to bring it up and actually have a real conversation that this is the tactic that we're going to use. So how do we get your colleagues to move in the same direction and start using the shared decision-making process more formally? Uh, Amber, that's a great point. And I, I think you know, I can speak from my own experience. Uh, I completed my GI fellowship in, in the summer of 99. And we we didn't have a construct. Yeah. You know, it was probably out there, uh, but it wasn't formally taught to us on, mm-hmm. on how to do that. We were in a safety net hospital, just, you know, resource constrained, just trying to keep our head above water. So I think this requires input from our societies to to further educate our physician colleagues and nurse practitioners and PAs, everybody up and down the provider chain. I think it requires even, should these be the kind of questions that percolate into board certification questions and whatnot? I don't know. But these are the kind of things that in one aspect, the organized part of medicine needs to push it. And for example, the Affordable Care Act has language about shared decision-making in it. uh, and, And we're supposed to, in certain instances, document it in such a way so that'll get some providers' attention. But I think what ultimately will get the provider's attention will be the patient's. So when your patient comes in and says, mm. you know, you're just telling me to take this medicine, I want to tell you about the my perspective. Here's, here's my living ex- lived experience with Crohn's or ulcerative colitis or other, any disorder it might be. And, and I want to understand why that treatment, why not other treatments or no treatment? Why? Are, what are my options? And so I think uh, I can speak for myself and most of my colleagues to say we enjoy talking and working with 
an informed, educated patient who asks probing questions, uh, we all learn from. Caitlin, do you have any funny or embarrassing stories to tell about your ulcerative colitis? Of course I do. <laughs> of course you do. Who doesn't? Which one do you want? Who doesn't? <laughs> Just kidding. Um, uh, my husband actually encouraged me to share this story because I am still embarrassed by it. But when I... I uh, <laughs> I uh, was flaring a little bit in 2018 before we got married. It was like six months before our wedding. Um, and it was presenting as proctitis. So one of the things that I needed to do was um, do the mesalamine enemas like every three days in the beginning or something like that. And I was really nervous because I hadn't mm -hmm. done one in a really long time and I just couldn't do it. So my husband did them for me for like two months and I was like absolutely mortified. I still am. It's still like uncomfortable sharing this, but I know that I'm probably not the only one that had to do that. Um, and of course, eventually I started just doing them myself and now everything's dandy and I don't have to do them anymore. Um, but, but that was embarrassing. I mean, we're about to get married and, and that was the first time cause I had been in remission for so long that that was the first time he was really experiencing a flare with me. And so it was all those things of like, you're getting married and now I'm sick and like, what's he going to think? And all those types of insecurities we have when we're sick. But I mean, he's, he's wonderful. He's my biggest supporter. And he just, he just said, you know, it's, it's attractive when you're taking care of yourself and that's what we were doing. So yeah, that's probably the, the top one. And then, you know, I got a whole bunch of like poop accident stories. We want those. <laughs> Everybody has those. <laughs> I don't know, a dime a dozen on those. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> I'm curious to know though. So he, he was finding the idea of taking care of yourself attractive. Um, was there anything else that he said about that experience? Did it help him understand what you're going through better or did it bring you to closer as a couple like how did that all play out yeah I think um we talked about it a lot of it was was me just being I mean I was nervous because we were getting married and <laughs> just me it was my first flares in like 11 years so mm. and it wasn't as bad as my last one thank god but yeah, I think it just had us have different conversations. I mean, he obviously knew I lived with ulcerative colitis, mm -hmm. but to see like the running to the bathroom and I was seeing blood for a part of it just to, it, I think it opened his eyes a little bit more to this. Just wasn't just like a chronic condition where I take my pills and move on. Yeah. Like it can flare and it probably will flare again. Um, and I, I think it did bring us closer. We both have you know, our own health things and we've had to work through them together. So I was actually glad that it happened when it did, when I look back on it, mm -hmm. it was just, it, it was kind of like the universe is like, this is the last thing you need to see <laughs> before you guys get married. Not that, you know, not that we were going to break up over it or anything like that. Of course not. But it was, I think it was a humbling experience for both of us. Mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. he sounds like a keeper. I think you should hang on to that one. He is a keeper. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you both so much for coming on about IBD and discussing shared decision making with me. I think this is a conversation that will really help a lot of patients. 
and also providers too who are thinking about how they can implement this in their practice. So I want to thank both of you for speaking with me today and for everything that you do for IBD patients. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you for having me and Caitlin, thank you for sharing your story. Yeah, thank you. It's nice to catch up with you. I know we talked before, so it's good to hear from you again. Stool is cool. Hey, super listener. Thanks to longtime friend of the pod, Dr. Rajiv Jan, for sharing his perspective and experience in shared decision-making. You can also hear him all the way back on episode 39, Help for Parents with Crohn's Disease or Ulcerative Colitis, where he discusses the IBD Parenthood Project, which is a source of information on IBD and pregnancy throughout all stages of family planning. Thank you also to Caitlin Smith, editor at The Mighty, who at the time of this recording is pregnant with her first child. You can follow her journey on Instagram as Kate Pilk Smith, which is C-A-I-T-P-I-L-K-S-M-I-T-H. Links to a written transcript, everyone's social media handles, and more information on the topics we discussed is in the show notes and on my episode 111 page on aboutibd.com. You can follow me across all social media as About IBD. Thanks for listening. And remember, until next time, I want you to know more about IBD. This American Gastroenterological Association Colitis Conversations program was supported by Pfizer, Inc. About IBD is a production of Malintel Enterprises. It is written, produced, and directed by me, Amber Tresca. Mix and sound design is by Mac Cooney. Theme music is from Cooney Studio.